Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Starting a new series as we jump in, starting a new series. Christmas is three weeks ago, three weeks away. Who's ready? Who's extremely anxious? Like, <laughs> woo, like, how do you celebrate anxiety, right? It's like you get planning all the Christmases with the families and traveling, anybody traveling for Christmas, right? And, and you gotta, you know, especially if you're married with kids, you gotta make sure all the grandparents get time with your kids, right? So nobody feels left out. And so as we're three weeks away, um, we wanna spend some time kind of looking at where God is present. And so some of the things that, a couple of things that we say from the stage a lot is that that God is for you and God is with you. That God is for you, God is with you. And let me just, for those of you who are here today, you may feel way distant from God. You're not distant from him because of him. He's right where he's always been looking for the opportunity for you to notice, but God is always with us. And, and when we think about God being with us and God being with you, it's a spiritual promise from Genesis to Revelations. And, and I, I say those words, God is with you. And, and we see it all throughout scripture. And, and if I say that, that he's with you, some of us may paint different pictures. And, you know, for some of us, we may say, okay, God's with us. And, it's, and we've had friends say, look, whatever you decide to do, I'm with you. And we see them kind of as a cheerleader in the stands that's kind of distant, but they are with us in spirit and encouragement, but they're not really with us when it gets hard. Or maybe you paint the picture that someone is with you almost like an older or a younger sibling, and they're just waiting on you to mess up so they can tell mom that you've messed up. And sometimes some of us may view God as being with us so that he can just catch us messing up because of previous church experiences. We see that, but I want you to know that God is with you because he wants you to succeed, but not just at your purpose, not just at your hopes and dreams. He wants you to succeed at his purpose for you and his greatest purpose that supersedes everything that he's put in your heart desires to do is simply just to be and live in relationship with him. That is the greatest purpose that he has for you. Once that is in place and we understand and we get that, then all other purposes flow out of that. And, and one of the more, more notable verses that, that, that we read about Emmanuel, God is with us, comes from Matthew chapter one. And we'll be reading these stories in, in Christmas gatherings with our families and, and you know, hearing them in multiple sermons. But in chapter one of Matthew, verses 18 through 23, says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, to whom she was engaged, he was a righteous man 
and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. And then we'll get into verse 20. It says, as he considered this, so as he was planning this and thinking about this, and you know, those of you who have been in relationships and, and you've thought about the direction the relationship is gonna go, and so he's probably thinking, look, you know, Mary, it's, it's, it's not you, it's me, right? We've all had those conversations. And, and, and he says that this is what happens. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid, take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him what? It's funny, like whenever you ask people to answer a question in church, and they know the answer is Jesus, they still say it like reservedly as if they're not sure, even when it's on the screen. So yeah, it's just like you don't make eye contact, you look down and the answer's gotta be Jesus. It's like, and you are to name him what? Jesus, you are, that's better, come on. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then the angel says, all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. And the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7 makes this statement. He says, look, the virgin will conceive a child and she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Emmanuel. God is with us. And this name is really only mentioned about four or five times in scripture. And you, and you may have noticed the spelling in this is a little bit different than the spelling that was in the song we just sang earlier. That the spelling in the song that we sang earlier, Emmanuel started with an E. In scripture, it starts with an I. And you may be thinking, is what's, what's the difference? Is we talking about the same Emmanuel? Yes. It's just a different spelling because how they were translated. Um, the Old Testament translation of Emmanuel, um, it starts with an I because it's coming from the Hebrew language. The New Testament is translated with an E because it's coming from the Greek language. And so it's all about getting the sound to our ears and helping us know how to pronounce it. But the meaning behind the name is way more important than how we spell the name. You can spell it with an I, you can spell it with an E, but at the end of the day, it still means God is with us. And when we look at the Christian faith, um, there are some cornerstones to our faith that's unlike other false religions within our world. And, and, and one of these is that God is with us. And it's that, that, that in other religions, that the work that is to be done is about the followers trying to get to that God. But in our faith, our God has come and met us. My youngest daughter goes um, to school that, that um, it's, it's classical education. So they learn all about Greek mythology. Do you guys remember that? I, like I had forgotten it. And I like, so they, they did a couple of plays this, this, this past Friday uh, on, on these Greek gods. And it, one was Persephone and Hades to where Hades is the underground god in Greek mythology and he's lonely and so he tricks Persephone to come down and, and, and stay with him. And then there's also the story of, of Dedimus and um, Icarus where they make wings out of bird feathers. And I'm watching these plays and I'm reminded about some of the stories and, 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 and the gods in Greek culture were like giant children 
that they were always trying to trick each other into getting what they wanted and manipulating even the people of earth to get what they wanted. And then the people who worshiped them just joined in the game. And they were manipulating each other and trying to please the gods and manipulate them to get, to get the gods to do what they want and what they thought was best for them. And I got to thinking like, like where, where we're at, our faith is built different. Look at your neighbor and say, it's built different, right? <laughs> you guys have seen those TikToks and, and, and reels, right? Just built different. Like, like our faith is built on a different foundation than that. Because we have a loving God who is selfish for us, not selfish apart from us. And it says this concept of of God has done everything to bring us to him for us and is in us doing his best work in us to keep us to him. And and we see Paul even addressing this in Acts chapter 17. When when, when he's in Greece, he's in Athens and he's walking around and he's seeing all these idols that are to all these gods. And he's seeing they're very religious. And so he's talking to some of the Greek Jews and he's talking to some of the philosophers and he gets invited back to the city council meeting to where he gets to debate them. And and he says, look, people of Athens, I've walked around your city and, and you have all these gods. He said, you even, you're, you're very religious. You even have, just to cover all your bases, you even have a God named to the unknown God. You have an idol to the unknown God. And he's like, look, this, this is the God that I'm telling you about. This is the God that, that sets up the boundaries of our lives of, of when and where we're gonna live. This is the God that is working to get us to find him, to reach for him. And then Paul even says that it's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. And he's actually quoting a Greek prophet or a Greek poet in that. And so when when we think about God's being with us in Greek culture and our God being with us, I want to help us to understand there are things that as pastors, sometimes we want you to feel to be motivated by, and there are things as pastors that, that we wanna encourage our church to do, but today there's, there's really something that I wanna help us to know so that when we're questioned ourselves or when you're questioned by someone else, and it's like, how, how is God really with you? Like he's with you and you say that, but, but how is that? And when we, when we look at that, we understand that, that, that our God is transcendent, and that may be a word like you've never heard before, never used. And so transcendent means that, that, that our God is, is apart from. He is above. He is not bound by his creation. So he is in heaven, transcendent above time and space and everything in his creation. Even though he's created it, he is not bound by it. But he's not just transcendent above and beyond, because some of us have that perception of God because of what we've experienced in in the past growing up, and and we see God as someone who's just distant and far away, but there's not just a transcendent presence, there's also an imminent presence of God. And and this imminent presence means that even though he's transcendent and he's far and above, guys, he's also intimately involved in the details of our lives. He's intimately involved in the details of our world. He's not bound by it. Even though he set it all in motion, he's not bound by it. 
but he is bound to his creation, to you and I, through relationship, through covenant, that he is bound to it, that he is intimately involved in our lives, that he is with us imminently and intimately. We see it with, with, with him walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. We see it with him meeting with Moses face to face. We see it with him giving Solomon wisdom, with him picking the prophets and even picking the disciples and giving John the revelation for what's to come. He is imminently and intimately involved in all the details, whether we realize it or not. But in this season, guys, what we get to, 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 set, to celebrate, and actually let me read Jeremiah 23 first, a couple of things. Jeremiah 23, um, there's some debate going on about is, is God just local? Is he above the earth? Does he see everything? And there's some debate going on, and God says this. He says, am I a God that is only close at hand? Am I just confined to this space? Am I only the God of your people? And he says, no, I'm far away at the same time. He says, can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in the heavens and on the earth? And other translations says that, that he fills the heavens and the earth, that, that God is everywhere. And David, David recognizes this. He recognizes this in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, he says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. I can never escape your spirit. I can never, and even before this, he says, look, I can go to the heights of heaven and you are there. I can make my bed in the grave and you are there. I can clothe and, and hide myself in darkness and, and you are there. I can never get away from you. And he's not saying, look, God, I'm trying to hide from you. Stay away from me. What he's saying is there is absolutely nowhere that I can go that you are not there because God's presence is intimate and it's imminent. It's everywhere. But in this season, we also get to celebrate and acknowledge one of the differences for us is, is God's incarnate presence. God's incarnate presence, that, that, that he actually took his creation and he stepped into the creation. And this is the season that we celebrate the incarnation of, of Jesus as God taking on the human form that you and I have. And a few years ago, I had the opportunity of, of teaching a sophomore Bible class at a school in Jackson. Um, it was a lot of fun. And my curriculum was the book of John. That was it. There were, I was like, what do you want me to teach? Like, do you have a curriculum? Yeah, the book of John. And so as I'm teaching through the book of John, helping them to understand what the incarnation looks like, and it actually comes from the Latin word incarno, which means in flesh. And as I said the word incarno, guy over here was like, you mean like carne asada? And I was like, no. And another guy over here was like, you mean like, carne con queso? And I was like, no. <laughs> and then one guy in the middle was like, look, can we stop talking about Mexican food? I just want a taco about Jesus. And I'm like, come on. You got, like, I'm not making this. <laughs> like, like, I know I give some pretty cringy dad jokes, but these guys like took the boat, right? It's like when, and so probably you're going to go to eat lunch afterwards and order carne asada and remember the incarnation, right? Whatever works, I don't care, <laughs> right? But we get to celebrate that our God did not stay distant from us, 
but he took on our frame, he took on our weakness and stepped into his creation. And, and theo, theologians call this a hypostatic union and that, that he is both fully God and fully man, that he's not kind of human with a whole lot of God. No, he has all of our weakness. Then he also had all of his strength. And, and think about this, guys. Like he held back his strength to endure our weakness. When in many times, if we have those powers, we're gonna be using them selfishly to overcome those weaknesses. But no, he surrendered his powers, not using them so he could surrender fully to his weakness so he would know what we experienced. So we would know that we have a God that fully knows us, not from a distance, but imminently in intimacy. And so John chapter one says this. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed at the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, John says in verse five and the darkness can never extinguish it. And so John is talking about the transcendent presence of God and the imminent presence of God, that he is both there and here at the same time and is in everything, has created everything. And then he says in verse 10, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He says that he came to his own people. Even they rejected him. They didn't recognize him because he didn't, he didn't ride in like a victorious king. Instead, he entered quietly as a helpless infant. No one was looking for that. It says, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And they are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. And I love verse 14. It's just the imagery of it. It's so the word became what? Human. The word became flesh. The word became carne. The word became human and made his home among us. Emmanuel, God is with us. And I love the way the message paraphrase puts it. It says, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. And like houses have been selling like crazy. And like whenever a house goes up on the market and it sells and I see that truck pull in, I'm like, I hope, we, I like, like I hope they're a good neighbor. I hope they're not like crazy, <laughs> right? Anybody else? But Jesus has moved into our neighborhood and he is a good God. He's not a manipulative God. He's not out for selfish gains just for his. His selfish gains are for our good, right? says that the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood and made his home among us. And listen, guys, he is full. Say full. He's full. Not half empty, not half full, but he is completely full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And I got to thinking about Amelia's plays and that the gods in Greek religion, they had children and sons and daughters. And so that's, that's not different from other religions in that, that there are gods and that, that have sons and daughters who are heroes and warriors and kings and queens. But what separates our God from those other gods is not only is the son of God, but he claimed himself to be God because he is God. 
And he goes on to tell the disciples this in, in, in John 14, verses 8 through 10. Christianity just goes beyond that. Jesus was God. The word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh. And then John says this. He recounts Philip asking this question. He says, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Look, just, just give me proof. Prove it to me. Just give me more proof, Jesus, and then I'll be satisfied. And Jesus' response is this, is have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't get it? You still don't know who I am? Anybody been there, right? You're with people all the time, and you've been telling them the same thing over and over. All my parents give me an amen, right? I'm not telling you one more time. Anyone, he says, you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen who? The Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Christ is our Lord, our God incarnate in flesh with us, suffered through him. Everything that you and I could suffer, every heartbreak, every anxiety, Every setback, every experienced it so that he could know us, but even more so, so that we could know him to a greater degree. And Jesus goes on in, in verse 16, and he says, he says this. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. And just a, a refresher from our series on the Holy Spirit this past summer, that, that word another means another of the same kind. And just to remind us that, that if you have a CD and you borrow or, or you let someone borrow, does anybody even have CDs anymore? Bad example. Let's do books, right? So, so you have a book that you enjoy and you pass that book off to someone and you go and get another book. When you go and get the exact same book, that's what Jesus is saying. I'm sending you another advocate that's the exact same as what I am. And he says, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. God's imminent presence, God's incarnate presence. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus today, we have God's indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we are never without his presence because it resides within us. He resides within us. This is God's presence was with them in the incarnation, but then he was in them through the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit was released on the day of Pentecost, and that is, that is, that is when his presence is, is not just with us, but in us, it's in the dwelling, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that's forming us into the likeness of his image, of our creator, directing us, correcting us, encouraging us, reminding us. And so we are never alone. Never alone. And so I got to thinking, like, how can we kind of explain this in a story format? And we look in Hebrews, and it says that, that we're to look to Jesus, who is the what? Author and the finisher of our faith. 
the author and the finisher of our faith. So he's, he's, he's starting our faith. He's, he's writing our faith. And I got to thinking about as to explain this, and it's really hard for the created to describe the creator, right? For our children who are infants and, you know, the, the babies that are in this room and the toddlers that are upstairs, for them to be able to explain their mom and dad, you're going to get some crazy stuff sometimes, right? <laughs> like ridiculous, like I don't tell everybody my business, but they will, right? But for them to try to explain us as parents, they're not going to get it right all the time. And so to look at how God is with us, I got to thinking, let's, like, like thinking of God as a creator, thinking about an author writing a story, an author writing a story that, that as he's writing it, he is transcendent in presence from it, that, that he is outside of the story. He's, he's above it, he's outside of the story, and he's creating it. But then also as he's creating it, he's eminently present in the details, who the characters are, where they're going, what they're doing. He's involved in the details. And then as the author is going, he begins to write himself into the story, writing himself into the story where he's now interacting with the characters in the story. And and as the characters are interacting with him in the story, the author continues his work and, and he's changing the character and the nature and the behavior of the characters who are in, interacting with him to be more like him. So he's, he's above the story, he's in the story, he's put himself in the story and even if it seems like he's not there, his presence never leaves the story because his thumbprints, his fingerprints, his DNA is all in the story. And so even though the author is not present, may not seem like he's present, he's present in the life of the story. And even though, look at me, let's say, even though it may not feel like God's presence because of what you're going through in your life right now, he is always and forever will be present in the story of your life. And I was reading Zephaniah, and it's really an obscure verse, and thinking about the struggles that, that maybe we face at this season or just any time in life. It's like, God, where are you? I know I've asked that question. Yes, it's okay to ask that question. Every great saint from the Old Testament to Jesus on the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me, right? And when we struggle, why, like, why do I not sense you? Why do I not feel you? Are you with me? Why are you with me? And I was reading this verse in, Zeph- in, in Zephaniah chapter three, verse 15. It says, and the Lord himself, the king of Israel, will live among you. At last, your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. On the day of that announcement, the prophet says to Jerusalem, it will be, the announcement will be to cheer up Zion. Don't be afraid. I'm gonna lean into this verse. I wanna invite you to lean into these next couple of, next verse. It says, for the Lord your God is living among you. The Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. And it says, he will take delight in you with gladness. He delights in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with song. 
And I know we sing the song, Emmanuel, rejoice, rejoice. But even as we're rejoicing over him, it says that our Savior has come. And he is rejoicing over us being in relationship with him. And it says that it is his love that calms all of our fears. He came to bring peace. He came to bring joy. He came to bring salvation. And so whether you feel it or not, whether you feel it or not, he is here. He is with you in the good seasons. And I believe, guys, because the scripture says that he is near to those who are brokenhearted and close to those who are crushed in spirit, that he is as close as he can be when we're crushed. He is transcended above it all. He's intimately involved. He came to show us how involved he is through the incarnation, but even more so for those of us who are following Jesus, we have the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. And any fear that you have can be cast out by his love. That perfect love casts out what? All fear. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power and love and a sound mind. Let me pray for us. Father, I just come to you this morning, and God, I pray that, that in this season, we would recognize your presence. God, I know our calendars are gonna get full. Some of us, our calendars are already full. And we look at it, and we're anxious. And we look at the needs that we wanna meet of our family members through gifts or through serving, and we get anxious. God, I pray that we would just look for you and in, in it, that we would put our eyes on you, that we would focus on you, that we would lift our eyes to you, the, the author and the finisher of our faith. That you've done the work to bring us to you, that you came to us, that you are filling the heavens and the earth, that you are intimately, God, involved in every detail of our life. God, that you entered creation, that you gave up all of heaven to be with us. And that even when you returned, you sent your presence, your spirit to dwell in us so that we are never without you. So God, those that are here today that feel like they're at their loneliest, God, I pray that they would know that you are right there with them. God, if there's anyone here today that does not have a relationship with you or maybe they've walked away from you or, or maybe they're a Christian, but they don't know you, They've said the prayer, they've, they've walked down the aisle, but they've not continued that relationship with you. God, I pray that right where they're seated, that, that your spirit would move in their hearts, God, that you would stir within them. And, and as they just, in a word of surrender, say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. I, I accept who you are and your plans for my life. Forgive me. And in this moment, God, you make all things new. God, help us to stay slow in the season, I just feel, just to stay slow in the season and observant for where you're speaking and what you're doing so that we don't miss out. Remind us daily in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening that you are with us, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, you are with us even until the ends of the age. 
Father, we thank you for this word and what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.